Well, good morning, Cross Point. Glad to have you all with us today. Special welcome to any guests that we have this morning. And we even welcome those to listen on the internet. We are about to wrap up this series on the book of James. We only have today and next week. It will have been 15 weeks in this book. And today, James is going to help us to have patience. And guess what he's talking about next week? Prayer, because we need a lot of prayer to have a lot of patience, amen? (laughs) So today we're going to be looking in James chapter 5, 7 to 12. Have you noticed how much of life is spent waiting? I hate to wait. I I don't like waiting in doctor's offices. I, I don't like waiting in checkout stand lines. As a matter of fact, I am just so wired up to not wait, that I actually scan every line. I look at what's in your baskets to see how long it's going to take, and I choose the one, and I always guess wrong. The other day, I'm not kidding you, I was telling Jane just last week, I said I had three things in my basket. There were only two checkout stands that were open, and the, the, I, I chose the one with two people in it. The other one had three, and I thought, no problem, three and three, that's fair. And so just as I was pulling into mine, out of the blue, the guy in this lane decides he wants my lane. He didn't even turn on his turn signal. He just took that basket. I had to throw on my brakes on my basket, and he cut, cut me off. He did not look at me. I did see a little smirk, but he did not look at me. And he starts putting his stuff on, you know, the counter there. And then he put his bar down, you know, the little bar you put for the next person, But half the basket was still full, and I didn't understand this until about 30 seconds later. A lady walked up, and she started putting her stuff where that, it was two people, one basket, and I had to wait an additional person. I do not like to wait, especially when I'm hungry. Have you noticed? When you go to a restaurant and you're hungry, the more expensive the restaurant, usually the longer you have to wait. You have to wait. To put your name in. You have to wait to be seated. You have to wait for a menu. You have to wait to order. You have to wait for your food. And then you have to wait to pay the bill. And they have the nerve to call that guy the waiter. He is not the waiter. I am the waiter. Much of life is spent waiting. James is going to talk about how to develop patience. And in typical James fashion, he's going to tell us when to wait, why to wait, and then how to wait. Let's talk with the when first. When should I be patient? There are three special times in your life where you need to learn to be patient. Especially this first one, when circumstances are uncontrollable. And he gives an illustration of a farmer. He says, be patient then, brothers. He's talking to the church. 
until the Lord's coming. He'll mention the Lord's coming three times in this section that we're going to look at today. See how the farmer, what's the next word? Waits. If you're a farmer, you do a lot of waiting. I went to college in Lubbock, Texas. Met a lot of farmers there and did an internship in Portales, New Mexico. Filled with farmers. Agricultural region. And oh, you would hear it from the farmers about waiting, waiting, waiting. They got to wait to till the soil. Because it's got to be the right time of the year. They got to wait to plant the soil. And then they got to wait for the harvest. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is. And then they got all those uncontrollable. What does farming have to do with uncontrollable circumstances? Do the farmers control the weather? No. It's out of their control. So they got to wait for the rain. And sometimes they get too much rain. And sometimes they get the rain at the wrong time. You get the rain at the end of the crop, it's bad. They want to harvest. They want it dry. They don't want it wet. You can ruin a crop with rain. Or the opposite, drought. Not enough rain. But you know, it's all out of their control. Not a thing they can do about it. It's an uncontrollable circumstance. And then even in those years where they... I, I, used to meet with some of these guys in Pertellus at the local coffee shop, and a, n- a number of the church members there were farmers. And there's a lot of downtime when you're farming. And they'll sit and they'll talk about the weather, they'll talk about the crops, they'll talk about the economy. And that looks like it's going to be a bumper crop. But you know what, if everyone has a bumper crop, you know what that does? It drives down the prices. <laughs> they have a great crop, but... Or then they have a great car- crop and the economy's bad and nobody's buying A ton of things a farmer has to go through to be a farmer. And yet James uses a farmer as an illustration of patience. What are you waiting for this morning? Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue, a relational issue. Maybe you got a son or a daughter right now that is playing the prodigal. And they're far away from home. And your first inclination is to run after them and bring them home. But in our story, Jesus never ran, or God never ran after the son while he was in the pig pen. The only time God runs is when the son's on the way home. Then he'll run to meet you. But don't ask God to fellowship the prodigal in the pig pen. He won't do it. All you can do is wait and pray for those people that are far from God. But that takes patience, doesn't it? And he gives, in this case, an illustration of the prophets. Look at verse 10. As an example of patience, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The second time you need to be patient is not only when things are out of your control, but when people are unchangeable, you got that unchangeable son or daughter that just isn't home yet, you hang in there. You keep praying. You keep doing what you need to be doing for them. What, what was the role of the prophet? The prophet's role was to take the people who were once close to God, who are now far from God, and preach the word and bring them back to God. That's what a prophet was to do. 
And you know, the prophets would go out and they would preach and they would teach and they would compel the people to come back to God. But for the most part, did they ever? No. Until God would have to finally say, I will judge you as one who has committed adultery, spiritual adultery, and they would end up far from God in Babylonian captivity. But even there, God sent his prophets. They had to be patient. They had to keep preaching. They had to keep teaching. Do you have anybody in your life that refuses to change? Here's James's advice to you this morning. Be patient. And then there's a third reason why I should be patient. And that is when problems are unexplainable. And here he uses Job as an example in verse 11b. He says, you have heard of Job's perseverance. Job's probably the oldest book in the Bible. And they've heard of Job's perseverance. Now, perseverance is probably a better word for patience. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But what had they heard? Well, if you read the book of Job, you'll find that Job played in the Super Bowl of suffering. And, and, and he started off with a touchdown. And then suffering hit. I mean, if you think about the first half of his life, the Bible says there was a man in the land of us by the name of Job. He was a perfect and upright man, a man who feared God and turns away from evil. And he was the richest man in all the East. And that was probably the world at that time. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. He had servants aplenty and lands aplenty. He had seven good sons. He had three beautiful daughters and a wife that loved him dearly. And then one day, he loses it all but his wife. In a misguided love, well, we'll talk about that in a moment. How would you, I, I've met people that lost a lot. We're praying for a young man who's lost a wife this week. I've never met someone that's lost this much, this quickly. As a matter of fact, within a 48-hour period, he hears about his losses. In comes a servant and says, you're not going to believe this, Job, but I was out there with the camels and the Sebians came along and they just took all the camels away. They're all gone. And while he was yet speaking, in comes another one. You're not going to believe this, Job. All the flocks and the, and the herds and the dogs, all gone. They killed all the servants. I only have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, in comes another one. Notice, it's just boom, boom, boom. All your lands are gone. Your servants have been killed. I only have escaped to tell you. And then one more comes in and says, Job, you're not going to believe this. But you know those sons and daughters of yours that you love so much? They're all dead. There's a blow, huh? I've never met anyone that's lost this much this quickly. But that's Job. And James reminds us of his perseverance. And while he's suffering, he's asking some questions. 
Don't, don't you ask questions. Don't you ever look up when you're going through a bad time and say, why? Why me? Why, why, why? Well, Job did that. Now, he's given us an illustration to Job, and the first part of the illustration is you need to know that Job was a big whiner. He's kind of like me. Now, he ends up doing the right thing, but he whines for 37 chapters. And he says, why, 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 why? And three of his best friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, come and say, Job, what'd you do wrong? See, because Job lives in a day and time when they didn't, they didn't believe in a resurrection. See, we think they, they had it all. They, they had very little in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, they, there wasn't yet an Old Testament. There wasn't yet a Moses. There wasn't yet an Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob when Job was around. And, and the leading theology of the day was there is one God, and that was about it. And then when you died, you were dead all over just like Rover. There was no resurrection. See, we live this side of the cross. Isn't it nice living this side of the cross and be able to look back rather than live way over there and only know there's a God up there somewhere and I believe in Him. That's about all He knew. And the theology of the day was if you are a good man, if you are a righteous man, then God is going to bless your life. I think we somehow got a little bit of that in us. But God, I did the right thing. So, you know, we call it karma or whatever. You know, people talk about that. Job thought that. He, the, the, they had the theory of retribution. That is, God settles all of his accounts in this life, not the next, because they didn't believe in a next life. So if you were a good and a righteous man, well, then you prospered. If you were evil and a wicked man and a lazy man, then you did not prosper. And Job had prospered more than anyone in the world. So guess what he thought of himself? I'm a really good man. I'm a really good guy. And if Job had but one problem and one sin, it would have been he had a little bit too much pride. And God's going to straighten that out. Then one day the angels give an account to God. And Satan's there too. What's Satan doing there? Satan has to give an account to God from time to time, just like the angels do. And God says, Satan, where you been? He says, I've been going to and fro through the earth, searching for a man whom I may devour. Where do you think I've been, God? I've been doing my job. I want to destroy mankind. He says, have you considered my servant Job a perfect and upright man, a man that fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan goes, yeah, but does he serve you for nothing? You've made him the richest man in all the world who wouldn't serve you under those conditions. You take away his things, and I guarantee you, he will denounce you to your face. And God gives him permission. God doesn't do it, but God gives the permission. God gives, takes the credit. God allows things into our lives. And when God allows bad things to happen to good people, like I see in this audience this morning, here's what you need to understand. God trusts you very, very much. Or he wouldn't allow it. God trusted Job more than any other man in the world. And Job lost everything. He says, just don't touch my servant Job. See, God sets limits even with the devil. And 
There's another accounting day, and Satan's there. And he says, where you been, Satan? Well, you know what I've been doing. You know what I've been up to. Searching for a man whom I did devour. And he says, well, what about Job? He says, well, Job stayed faithful, but you didn't let me touch his body. Yeah, you let me take away a few things, but you let me touch his body, and you watch how fast he denounces you to your face. And God says, okay, skin for skin. You can do whatever you want to him, just don't kill him. Aren't you glad you're not Job? Someone says, I want the patience of Job. Well, be careful. See, but God knows Job, and God trusts Job. And then one day, Job ends up with, if not leprosy, at least a leprous type of disease. The Bible calls it boils. It's not a real good translation. Some say blisters. Others describe it as sort of a a skin condition that could be very related to leprosy. But whatever it was, it was grotesque. It was detestable to himself and everybody else. And he's out on an ash heap scraping his skin with a broken piece of pottery. That's how far he's gone down. Have you heard of Job's perseverance, anybody? Have you realized what this guy went through? You know, we just sort of talk about it. Oh, yeah, Job, yeah, that's that guy that, yeah, stayed faithful to God when things were going bad, but everything turned out all right. Oh, think about this. Get into his story. His wife comes out to the ash heap one day. And in a misguided love, she says, Job, would you just curse God and die? I've heard commentators on this. There's debates on this. I lean toward the side that says she loved her husband. And she was so moved by the pain that he was in, she just wanted him relieved from his suffering. Maybe she thought if he cursed God, well, then lightning would come down from heaven and boom, he'd be gone. But at least no more suffering. Not like he'd be in heaven because they didn't believe in heaven. But he'd just not be suffering anymore. I like Job's answer. Woman, you sound like a crazy woman. Your talk is crazy talk. I don't remember you complaining when we got more good than you thought we deserved. What are you doing now when we get more evil than you think we deserve? And in all of this did not Job sin with his lips nor charge God with foolishness. Now, the first time when the things were gone, it just said, Job did not sin. Now, the second time when his body's aching, he didn't sin with his lips. He didn't say it, but what's going on inside of Job? A civil war. Because his theology in his head says, I'm a perfect and upright man. This should not be happening to me. But if he listens to his heart, I'm sorry, let's reverse that. If he listens to his heart, I'm a perfect right. But his mind, my theology says, I must be a very bad man because bad things are happening to me. Did I straighten that out? All right. So what does he listen to, his head or his heart? What do you listen to when you're going through a hard time? It's hard to listen to your heart sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to say, Jesus loves me, this I know. Because you don't feel it. 
So about all you can do is hang on and say, for the Bible tells me so. You ever not feel his love, but you hang on to the Bible and just claim it anyway? You know what I'm talking about? Job ain't feeling it. But he knows in his heart it's true. See, through everything that Job went through, he never ever one time gives up his faith. He he maintains his faith even when his life was unexplainable. And so, when should I be patient? When circumstances are uncontrollable, when people are unchangeable, And number three, when problems are unexplainable. Now the why. Why should I be patient? Three reasons for that. Number one, because God is in control. Look at verse 8. Be patient and stand firm. Why? Because the Lord's coming is near. 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 Three times he talks about that. That's his way of saying, I know life looks out of control, but life really is still in control because I am in control. Our country's a mess. I, I, I was looking, looking back at our history, thinking back of when I first got here. Looking at the changes politically, economically, have you seen how the banksters have, will raise everything up and then boom, everything goes down. Everything goes up. I'm rich. Boom, everything goes down. The economy goes up and down. And whenever the economy goes down real quick, they go to war and somehow that pulls everything. And that's ungodly. That's wicked. Corrupt governments. The, the drug addiction and abuse. Pornography since the internet days. Are we a better off country because of the internet or not? Some why I can't do without my internet because I need that. Yeah, but look at all the junk it's doing too. But let me tell you something. According to James, the second coming of Jesus is the ultimate proof that he's in control. That he's still on the throne. Because you see the drug dealers and the pornographers and the murderers and the corrupt politicians and banksters can't stop the second coming of Jesus. Amen? Can't stop it. And some of you are experiencing a delay in something you've been praying for. And that delay has not come. And you think, well, maybe God's not looking. Maybe God's not listening. Maybe God's on a vacation. Those are some of the dumb things that Job said. God never condemns Job for the dumb things he says. But he does straighten him out on his pride issue. Because Job wants to debate God and prove God was wrong. But that, in a moment. You and I sometimes do the same thing when we look up and we say, God, why, 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 like Job? And we feel like we're praying to an iron ceiling, like our prayers aren't making it past. What do we often conclude? I'm all on my own. And we make dumb decisions and we don't look to God. No, those are the times you need to look to God. You need to stand firm and when things look most out of control you need to understand most that God is in control and never lose sight of that 
God's delays never thwart God's purposes. We want Him to act faster. But God's rarely in a hurry when we are. Number two, the second time, or the second reason we should be patient is because God rewards patience. You're going to see the reward Job gets here in a moment. But the Bible says, as you know, we consider blessed, blessed. That's a reward. Those who have what? What's the next word? Persevered. Persevered is the, is the word really that I'm trying to describe when I say patience. See, I used to think patience was the ability to go fishing and sit on a creek bank and drown worms all day and not really care if I catch a fish. That's not patience. That's not the patience that James is talking about or Job's talking about. The word is really perseverance. And so perseverance is, okay, the worm didn't catch a fish here, so I'm going to go upstream and try there. Nope, no fish there, so now I'm going to go downstream and try there. Nope, no fish there. I'm crossing the stream. Do you see perseverance? It's different. You're staying busy. You're doing what you should be doing, even though you haven't got the payoff yet. Some of you are going, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But I haven't got the payoff yet. Hang in there. Persevere. Do you see the difference? Not just sit there and take it. No, you stay busy. You stay involved in kingdom business. Wouldn't you agree with me that the second half of Job's life was a whole lot better than the first half? Why? Because it pays to be patient. God rewards those that are patient. And then the third reason we should be patient is because God is working things out, and He usually does it behind the scenes. Verse um, 11b, the latter part. You have heard of Job's perseverance, we're back to Job again, and have seen whatever the Lord finally brought about see that word finally have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed and persevered and persevered and persevered and then finally thank you god don't you love that you hung in there and you're glad you hung in there that's job the lord is full of compassion he is full of mercy but he's never in a hurry that's our problem we are god's delays are not God's denials. I don't know what you're waiting on this morning, but God is saying to you, be patient. I'm working things out. So there's the when, there's the why. Now let's look at the how. How do I be patient? How do I wait? Well, number one, I would suggest you wait expectantly. Remember that farmer illustration I gave earlier? Well, I didn't give it. Job, uh, James gave it. James says, consider the farmer. So, He's waiting to till the land, plant the seed, and now he's got to wait for what? It to grow. And so three or four months later, the crops are in, but he hasn't prepared. He hasn't sharpened the the sickle. He doesn't got the pitchfork. He doesn't have the barns ready, the silos ready. No, you know, in Portalis, when it was crop time to bring in the crops, man, way before that, they, they have combines now, all right? I had no idea what a combine was until one of the local farmers took me out on his combine. And this thing was air-conditioned. This thing had AM, FM radio, you know, cassette player, had all the whistles and bells. I said, how much did this thing cost? 
$120,000. You've got to be kidding me. I had no farmers made that much. Well, we owe it to the bank. and We're hoping for a good crop. <laughs> See, they make payments just like everybody else. And now you know why they're on. Farmers pray a lot. They're on their knees. They mortgage the farm for the seed sometimes. But they wait expectantly. He's got to get the combine ready, the silos ready. Because he's, he's expecting a crop. Some of you are waiting on God while God's waiting on you. You're not ready for the blessing. You're, you haven't even done anything in preparation for the blessing yet. Number two, wait quietly. Oh, did I mention Psalm 130 verse 5? I wait expectantly, trusting God to help, for He has promised to do so. He's promised to help us. Number two, wait quietly. Don't grumble, the Bible says, against each other. Don't do that, brothers. Why? Or you're going to be judged. I hate to hear it when our brethren are grumbling against each other. It just drives me crazy. Don't do that. James says, don't do that. There's going to be a judgment for that. There's a price to pay. When you're irritated, you tend to run off the off at the mouth and grumble and mumble and complain? Are you one of those kind of people that likes to rise and whine and hit the ground griping? And if you come home dog-tired every night, it could be because you've been growling all day. I actually heard about a lady who um, griped all the time, especially to her husband. Not to her husband, about her husband. She griped about him morning, noon, and night. And then one day, her husband died. And she put on his headstone, rest in peace, until the reading of the will. And she found out he left her five bucks. And the rest went to his secretary. And she put on his headstone, till we meet again. Lamentations 3.26, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of who? The Lord. Don't take matters in your own hands. Wait for the Lord. And then number three, wait confidently. Wait confidently. You know, Job never lost his confidence in God. That's the amazing thing about Job. This is my favorite part of the story, the, the, the ending. He's, he's crying out, why, 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 why? And then finally, he asks for a debate with God. I want a referee. Referee, you stand there. God, you stand there. I'll stand here. And God, I will show you how wrong you have been. I will prove myself right and you wrong. Ooh. Well, you're asking for trouble when you want to debate God. The Lord of the universe always does right. Never does wrong. Now, from our perspective, it may seem wrong. But the Bible says he never does. But he challenges God to a debate, and God says, fine, I'll take that challenge. But before you ask me your question, what was the question Job wanted to ask? Why? I want to ask you a few questions. And for three solid chapters, if you read the book, God asks Job question after question after question, and after every question, Job goes, well, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. No, How could I know that? No, I can't do that. God says, I do all that stuff. And Job is now seeing his God bigger than he's ever seen him before. 
God shows up in a whirlwind, asks Job a few questions, shows Job that, hey, I was there the whole time you were down. I'd never left you. I never abandoned you. I know you felt that way, but I was still there. And now Job is beginning to realize, wow, what a big God I, I serve. I don't understand this God. That's a good thing. If you can understand God, then our God is a very small God, right? Aren't you glad that we serve a God that we do not understand? And when I don't understand it, I just say, well, God, you're working it out. I'm going to stay faithful. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you. And Job is coming to that realization. And Job is now beginning to swallow that pride that he had so much of that he would confront and call God out. And then finally, after God's questions to Job, he says, oh, by the way, Job, did you have a question for me? Did Job ever ask the question to God? How many of you have read the book? He never did ask the question, did he? Why? Because when you know the who, that it's an all-loving, all-caring God that does it, and who's in control of your life, the why doesn't seem to be nearly as important, does it? Job now knows the who. When you've got a problem that's unexplainable, a person who is unchangeable, circumstances that are uncontrollable, wait confidently because God is working. How do I wait? Sometimes you just got to be still. There's nothing more you can do. You've prepared, you've prayed, like the farmer, you have to wait. Psalm 37, 7. Be, what's the next word? Still. Read this with me, this verse. That was very good, but it wasn't with me. (laughs) Can we do it again together? Here we go. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Not you, Him. Sometimes when you've done all you can do, stand and wait for Him. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Where do you need to have patience this morning? Do you have an uncontrollable circumstance in your life right now? Uh, Maybe it's your job situation. Uh, Maybe it's your finances, your health, a, a relationship. Remember God's in control. And nothing is beyond His power and His purpose for your life. God will reward your patience. Would you say, Jesus Christ, I need patience this morning. Help me to wait expectantly. Help me to wait quietly and to not grumble and complain about my frustrations. Help me to wait confidently and to be still and trust that you are working behind the scenes. Like the farmer, help me to plant good seeds and expect a great harvest. Help me with that unchangeable person. Help me with that uncontrollable circumstance. Help me to be patient with that unexplainable problem. Three times in this passage, he talks about the Lord's coming. 
Are you ready for his return today? Then you need to get ready today, this morning. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you? Have you repented of your sins? Have you been baptized in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? If not, why not? Father, I thank you for your word. Help us to be patient people. Today, again, we turn the controls of our life over to you. Thank you for working behind the scenes to mold us and to make us after your will. We turn all of our frustrations over to you, believing that you'll come through. In Jesus' name, amen.